0: Support for this podcast comes from you. And Biogen, committed to transforming the treatment of neurological disease. Biogen is working to develop life-changing therapies for people with multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's, ALS, and spinal muscular atrophy. Biogen.com slash science. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. Saying that this is a time of division in America would, for a lot of people kind of an understatement. There are economic divisions, geographic divisions, racial divisions, political divisions. And it's not like this is totally new, but somehow they've gone from two-dimensional to three-dimensional. And for many of us, the question is, are we morally similar or do we just have completely different moral compasses? This is a particularly tough question for my college roommate, Eden, whose political meanings have shifted over time from conservative conservative to liberal. And that's created a wedge between her and her parents, a wedge that inevitably raises the question of morality.
1: It's become more of a difficult question, you know, once Trump was elected.
0: I called up Eden, who's now a pediatrician in Philadelphia, to talk about this, because if we truly are in different moral camps, she's got to wonder, how can you be in a different moral camp from the people who raised you and from the people you love?
1: questioning like, wow, like, these were like moral values that were instilled in me by my parents and now I feel like they're actually turning against them. You know, and it's, that's been more difficult to rationalize.
0: I first met Eden when we were both 18 and she came up from Florida, from the Tampa area, to go to college in the Northeast. And Eden stood out some because she was clearly from a conservative family.
1: We didn't sit around the table discussing the latest Supreme Court, you know, decision or, you know, like there were a couple tropes that my dad would always mention, like, you know, if an eagle was flying over my property, I would be put in jail if I shot it, you know, and he and, which, you know, and he was like irate about that. I mean, he basically was kind of like a Reagan-era Republican.
0: Right, right. And he was upset about not being able to shoot the eagle because he was like, oh, we have too many regulations in this country, right? The government's too big.
1: Right. It was like it was impinging on his freedom. But when she got to the Northeast, it was a different world. I remember some conversations we had, you know, as roommates. (laughs) You know, I think I just started to realize that I had these ideas from my family that I had just never thought that deeply about mm-hmm. you know like i remember you know coming to college thinking that evolution wasn't real and it's funny because i think growing up it was like more about the team and not the reasons that i think when i started examining the reasons then i realized i wasn't really that politically conservative <laughs>
0: She says there are now lots of topics that she tries not to talk to her parents about, like climate change because they believe that God is the only force that can change the weather. But as life has gotten more complicated, there are some things that she hasn't been able to stay away from. A few years ago, for example, her sister got married to a Mexican man who was undocumented.
1: You know, my parents have never said anything bad about him and they've grown to really like him. But I think, you know, at first, they weren't okay with the idea and then later i think it became more that they knew it was such a hard issue for her that they you know didn't want her to have to go through you know the risk of him being deported and all that but then once trump came out and said you know that mexico just sends us the rapists and criminals <laughs> that really like you know sent her off the deep end and
0: right but that was during the campaign and i mean your parents voted for him after that
1: yeah, I you know, and it's just still amazing to me that they don't like see why that would be so hurtful to her, because um, all they say is, well, we really like Mario and we've never treated him badly, and and that's true. I mean, I think like as a person, they're they're very nice to him, but they somehow don't make that connection. I am try to be like the peacemaker and I would try to tell her you know I don't think it's anything personal at all like this is their guy that's their team and Mm -hmm. I don't know if it matters what he says like it's just who they're gonna like and Mm -hmm. you know and it was kind of okay until he was actually elected and then it things blew up a little bit because my sister you know called him the day after which you know it's probably a mistake but you know and my dad said something about how he was really happy and she said, "Oh, well, are you guys pressing your hoods for church?" and which I kind of, you know, kind of makes me laugh a little bit, you know, like they were in the Ku Klux Klan. But but it wasn't funny actually at all to them. They were deeply hurt by it and it I think there's still, you know, they patch things up a little bit, but it's still raw for my parents and and for my sister.
0: For Eden, who has changed her own views about politics a lot since she became an adult, since I met her her freshman year of college, there's now a gulf that's really hard to cross. I think I would feel closer to them
1: if we had the same political views, unfortunately. So, you know, we can only connect on a few levels, but we're missing, like, a couple more. (laughs) You know, and I have to wonder sometimes if that's partly what kept me from moving back to being close to them, you know, after college. Mm And I, you know, I feel like my parents raised me with really good values, but in some sense, the values have diverged, a lo- you know, a little bit. And so I love and respect them and I, you know, love visiting them, but there's part of me that just feels very different from them now.
0: That's my college roommate, Eden. She's a doctor in the Philadelphia area, and it's her story that comes to my mind when I think about the particular tribal moment that we're in politically. Jennifer Richeson and Joshua Green spend a lot of time thinking about why we divide into different groups and what walls us off and whether there are potentially bridges that can be built. Jennifer Richeson is a psychology professor at Yale, and Joshua Green is a psychology professor at Harvard, and he's the author of the book, Moral Tribes, Emotion, Reason, and the Gap Between Us and Them. Thanks very much to both of you for, for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks. So, you know, Eden was saying, like, the Trump era feels different. Do you think it's really different and there are stronger divisions now, or do we just tend to be so focused on our own time and place that it seems different?
2: I think it is different, definitely, and part of what makes it different are new challenges that are, in some sense, the result of what I would regard as progress. Essentially, I think what's happened is that the United States has always been multicultural, but the dominance of the white Christian. Uh, main cultural block of, of the United States, which was not always viewed as a unified block, mm-hmm. but the, it had always been a predominantly white Christian country. And so, even if the United States was not officially Christian and officially white, the people who fell in that category never felt particularly threatened. And now, with power being shared more broadly and a tipping point when it comes to the kinds of of, of cultural influences, a black man and a black family in the White House really it, it ignited a fire, now all of a sudden, people who are defining America in what I would call tribal terms, in terms of a particular group of people with a certain set of cultural values, those people are suddenly at odds with people who define America in terms of a set of abstract ideals, Mm -hmm. right? And that's really what's coming to a head right now. Mm -hmm. Is America first and foremost a country that's about the group of people and this particular culture that's been dominant for a long time? Or is America first and foremost about a set of abstract principles that can survive and maybe even encourage the demise of any one particular tribal group's dominance? And that's, I think, the fundamental political tension right now. And it's a big one.
0: Jen, why do we form tribes in the first place? Like, why do we divide along, could be political, racial, economic lines? How does
3: that um, benefit us? It must benefit us in some ways because we do it. For sure. I mean, it's it's in some ways it's an evolved capacity. It helps to be uh, working, you know, in a community to have protection, right? Commun- groups provide information. They, you know, help sort out what we're supposed to be doing. They provide, you know, good reference for social comparison, so, you know, groups are good, right? And, and most of the groups that we end up being in, we think are perfectly legitimate and reasonable and helpful and, and safe and good, and we celebrate them, right? I mean, with even symbolic groups like sports teams mm-hmm. and, you know, all, all of these are, are perfectly functional um, to the extent that they are also not so deeply embedded in sort of hierarchies and intractable conflict, right, that's when they become, uh, you know, hugely problematic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, and I think that's where um, what Josh was talking about, the politics of groupiness, let's just say, or, you know, really capitalizing on this ability and tendency to see ourselves as just the us. And not only not, we don't want to include them, we think the who's in the them or the they, they're out to get us, right? Mm -hmm. It's that kind of um, response. And then the reactionary, you know, behaviors and psychology, the hunkering down that groups do when they feel under attack, that's, you know, hugely problematic when it's, of course, you know, not a real under attack. Josh, how do you get to a
0: situation where
3: you've got people who are,
0: you know, really nice, lovely people, they have other family members who are equally nice and lovely people, and somehow, through their experiences, they become part of two separate moral tribes, even though it's, you know, they might go to Thanksgiving together, um, and you would think they're the same, they share the same, you know, a lot of the same sort of genetic information, right. but but what happens? So.
2: I think the part of the key here is that what we're thinking of these two tribes is not they're not completely symmetrical. A lot of the psychology is symmetrical, as Jen said, in terms of people feeling like the, the, the victims and, and, and not comprehending the other side. Are we talking but liberal and conservative? Yes, in the U.S., okay. right. But I think really the fundamental question is how big is your us? how big is your circle right so what really happened and i think what happened to your friend eden is that her us got larger mm-hmm. right so it's not just the red team and the in, in in the blue team it's one that's more globalist universalist cosmopolitan versus one that doesn't doesn't necessarily say i hate everybody else mm-hmm. but my primary concern are with, with, with the people who who fall within this group. So how do people end up in, in different groups? Well, I mean, your, your friend Eden is really a, a nice example. She grew up in an environment where the tribe was close to home and that she wasn't exposed to much else. And a lot of things that, you know, later in life she came to question, she just took for granted because that's just – what She thought of as common sense, but mm-hmm. it wasn't quite as common as she thought, right? Mm-hmm. And then she goes to a place, you know, for school where she's going to meet more people from a lot of different places and be exposed to different ideas, and her cultural and social horizons broaden, right? And so it's really just exposure, I think, in a—you know, not all— Intercultural contact ends up being positive, but the kind that you get over a long period of time in a, in, a, in, a, in a college setting, for example, or other sorts of cosmopolitan settings, tends to be positive and tends to change people's views. Jen, can
0: you talk a little bit about, you know, research that speaks to how early in life do we start to create that us versus them? It's like, are little kids doing that? Are most of these ideas about who the us is and who the them is formed when we're little? What
3: happens there? Yeah. So, I mean, certainly the propensity for the us versus them is, you know, arguably wired in. In fact, there's, you know, very strong evidence. Now, our culture and society tells us which us's and them's or which divisions matter, right, and which have value and currency. And we do learn that very early, um, especially uh, racial divisions, uh, what comes to be gender uh, divisions. You know, we, we learned this quite early. And, and interestingly, in terms of race, we we learn it in a couple of ways. One, um, by watching our parents <laughs> and community members engage or not, or and talk about racial difference. And depending on what group you're in, especially if you're a racial minority, you learn it by going out in the world and being called names <laughs> and, you know, sort of treated poorly or at least in ways that are complicated and, and confusing and going home and saying this thing happened to me and you know f- three and four year old kids uh, are you know often subjected to questions and uh, if not slurs you know why is your, your skin brown um, why you know I I heard you're a this or a that and and I think they're trying to f- figure out what that means and that conversation starts quite early for, for many racial minority kids and it's an effort to understand difference which is you know obviously something that that kids can see that we have to help them understand what it means and what it doesn't mean in a sort of more proactive way than i think many americans think especially many white americans i i think there's this sense that if we just don't talk about race or difference and in fact lead help lead kids to think that they shouldn't even mention it, even though some of these are readily apparent, that they can't possibly become racist. And it's exactly the opposite. The Mm. the more you don't talk about it, the more you don't help kids understand what differences matter and how um, they might matter, that's when they're susceptible to being, you know, kind of co-opted by the people who are talking about it. Again, white supremacists aren't afraid to talk about racial difference. They're wrong and they'll tell a lot of sort of stories about what is is and not what is so and what's not so, but they're talking about it. If racial egalitarians are not talking about race, then they've seated the ground, right? So what you know, usually I suggest people, especially my white friends with kids, is that they, they talk about it and say, yes, isn't that interesting? People come in, you know, all kinds of differences. What do you think about this one? And help their kids age appropriately, of course, to understand that although people look different they, and have different backgrounds, they're actually, we're all the same, but we're not all treated the same way. And how do we understand why that's so? And how can what can we do about it if we want to live in a society that actually is fair and just? You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with Jennifer Richeson,
0: a psychology professor at Yale, and Joshua Green, a psychology professor at Harvard, about uh, the deep divisions in our country. So, Josh, uh, Jen talked about how even young kids get a sense of at least differences like who they are, who other people are, how that contrasts, how do you explain people who change? So they grow up, they, they sort of know what their views are, and then they shift. Maybe even as full-fledged adults, they shift. Um, and we've seen people change as adults on things like gay marriage. Um, so how do you explain when somebody, you know, changes their point of view and leaves their moral tribe or like one vision of the world and and adopts new vision?
2: Right. Um, so I think the example of, of gay marriage and the rapid shift on that is actually a wonderful example of trying to understand the mechanisms that bring about change and make it harder or, 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 or go more quickly. People have asked. It's a good question. Why did things change so quickly on gay marriage and we're still stuck with so many of the same problems when it comes to uh, race? I think the answer is that uh, you don't get a white family that all of a sudden unexpectedly has a black child born into it or a white community, right? Right, right? Whereas you do have white families or christian families ever who all of a sudden do have gay uh, ch- children uh, born into it. Yeah, but and that's been not...
0: happening forever right. and the change only
2: happened recently. Right. So once the tipping point occurred where instead of people staying closeted their whole whole lives or getting out of town as fast as they can and never talking to their parents and friends again or once a year, once it got to the point where it was acceptable enough and discussed enough that people felt like they had enough support and uh, and and could could survive out out in the open then there was a very rapid change and what brought that change about is that you were leveraging some of people's most strong feelings positive feelings against these other very negative feelings Mm -hmm. that is you could say on the one hand it really just seems to me wrong and an abomination against god for my son to be doing what he's doing with his boyfriend uh but it's my son. It's, it's the person I love as much as anybody in the world, right? And those two things fight it out. And then they look around at their neighbors. And they go to the church group to discuss this. And everyone looks around and says, okay, are we all right with this? So can, we, can we still love our children? And it can change very quickly because there was this stark battle set up between attitudes tw- towards towards gays and other sexual minorities and these very strong personal and often case family bonds hmm. and you didn't ha- you still don't often have as powerful levers working to heal divide between races and between other other cultural groups and i, I think that's why the, the flip on gay marriage and gay rights more generally has happened so quickly not completed but mm-hmm. it's happened so mm-hmm. much more quickly mm-hmm. is because it was just thrust into the middle of the family in the middle of the community as opposed to existing primarily across family and community Uh, lines.
0: You know, we were talking uh, before about um, is this a uniquely polarized time? And I have a friend who who works with seniors in high school who are going off to college. And she said she increasingly hears people say, and this worries her, that they don't want to go to a city or a state or a school where they feel like people won't agree with them politically because they just don't think they could handle it. What do you think of that? that? that,
3: That's terrible. (laughs) You know, I, I do think that's 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 tough. Um, It's, it's, to me, one of the great joys of, of working at a university is helping young people cultivate the skills to navigate. These differences, whether it's a political divide or an attitudinal divide, in some other on some you know due to some other belief. I mean, that's an incredible skill set that you get from being you know plopped in a place where people don't quite understand anything about you. I mean, I'm sure this is how uh, you know your college roommate felt when she showed up uh, you know in the Northeast all of a sudden in this you know odd community. You know, ironically, I think it's something that many. Uh, students of color come to learn and develop in college especially when they go to predominantly white schools um, like I did and like Yale you learn how to navigate difference and you actually become very good at it It, it's a a, skill set like anything else and if nothing else I think you know it's time for this discomfort around difference to be democratized, mm-hmm. right? That's what we're experiencing now. And, you know, it used to be it fall on the, you know, sort of the brunt of certain groups, you know, entirely and not others. And now there's sort of a realization, well, maybe we should, you know, shift the playing field to make it a little bit more fair where mm-hmm. everyone has to think carefully. <laughs> everyone about, feels uncomfortable now. <laughs> and everyone, Yeah, everyone <laughs> feels uncomfortable now, right? right but right. there's something to be gained on the other side of that discomfort. Um, Josh, when you think
0: about different moral tribes, I feel like if I sat down with a bunch of Americans, they could be from across the spectrum, and I said, like, here are my values, uh, being nice to people, working hard, being a good parent, everybody right. would nod and say, those are my values, too. Right. So, you know, we talk about uh, people as being so far apart, um, but in some ways, we also believe in, like, exactly the same things.
2: So everybody's the same within their us, and right, it's the right. us's that differ, uh-huh. right? Every tribe is opposed to killing people because you don't like them within right. the tribe, uh, <laughs> lying to people, right? You know, friendship is friendship, and you know there are important differences, but when we think, yeah, every, we all seem to be good people, what that really means is we are all willing and capable of being good to the people who we regard as part of our us, right? And the problem comes, when are you willing to give something up for someone who you don't think of? As being an inside uh, your us, or some, it's, it's part of somebody else's us, but not part of yours. So that's why I say it's not just a perfect symmetrical red team versus blue team. Mm-hmm. We all have a common core of tribal morality, of getting along within a group, right? It's the core of morality is about me versus us, it's about selfishness versus caring for other people. And that's what's common to every recognizable moral system. Where they differ is. How, how far outside of that core us are you willing to go and are you willing to give things up for those people?
0: Joshua Green is a psychology professor at Harvard. He's also author of the book World Tribes, Emotion, Reason, and the Gap Between Us and Them. Jennifer Richardson is a psychology professor at Yale. Thanks so much to both of you. Thanks, Thanks so much. If you want to read more about Joshua Green's work on moral tribes, we've got that for you at our website. And Jennifer Richeson actually just published a fascinating study looking at how we view income inequality through racial lenses and how bad we are at estimating the real inequities in society. That's also on our website, innovationhub.org. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through ConnectInvest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com slash CSB1.